I had never listened to a podcast, right? And I don't know why I was like against podcasting for some reason. And now I just realized the power of the podcast, the power of audiobooks, turning my car into the university on wheels. This is the Yield Coach Show, episode 45. Hey everybody, this is your coach Ian Brown. A few announcements. Yield Coach Capital has opened its doors to investors looking to multiply their money while working with yours truly and our varsity investment team. We recently closed our 170 acre Gainesville, Florida industrial track and our limited partner investors are on pace to make two and a half times or more on their money. That opportunity is gone, but don't miss the next one. Be sure to join our investor list and never miss a deal again. You can join our investor list by the portal, which is in the show notes of this podcast. It's in our Instagram bio link, and you can also do it at yield-coach.com. If you join our investor list, we will get you the free gift, 107 questions to ask a deal sponsor, and a discount to our employee to entrepreneur video course, which is packed full of information and case studies to kickstart your investment success. Now is your time to take the field. I'm your host, Ian Brown. Every episode, we bring you dynamic entrepreneurs, real estate investors, thought leaders, and inspirational guests ready to open up, share their story, the good, the bad, the ugly, so you can learn lessons, gain advantages, and accelerate your own success. Very excited today to be joined by Timothy Lyons. Timothy is the co-founder and managing partner of Cityside Capital, an 18-year veteran of the NYC Fire Department. You're going to hear this accent. He's not from Jacksonville, you can tell. He is the host of the Passive Income Brothers podcast, and he has partnered on over 1.4 billion with a B commercial real estate investments, including 6,000 multifamily units. Timothy, welcome to the show. Ian, thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Awesome, awesome. So uh, uh, NYC Fire Department to real estate investor on a high, I mean, I'm looking at your bio. This is high level stuff, man. You, you're not just dabbling in it. How the how the heck did that happen? Tell, tell us how you had right. this epiphany. Yeah, give us a little background on that. Yeah, it's not every day you meet a uh, civil servant, blue collar type of guy that's in this space with those types of numbers, I guess, right? So um, yeah, man, uh, listen, I am from the New York City area. I loved, you know, I, I love New York City. Right. Um, went to college, 9-11 happened. And uh just growing up in you know my neighborhood, I just knew that there'd be so many people that I would know who were affected, and that actually rang true. I decided that day that I was gonna be a New York City firefighter. At the time I was pre-med. Uh, but I do like to joke that I was pre-med for about 15 minutes, right? Because I joined a fraternity and uh, you know, <laughs> and you all can <laughs> figure out what happened <laughs> after that. However, um, you know, uh, that was my start, right? My uncle was a captain at the time in the New York City Fire Department. He had to be carried out of the Trade Center and um, put on a boat to Jersey City, where he remained there for several months uh, in the ICU. And he's with us today, thank God. But that's that's how deep my love for the city um, and my devotion to, you know, uh, just wanted to give back. I, I decided that day I wanted to be a New York City firefighter. Uh, and that's what I did. I finished out college two weeks later after graduation. I was in the academy. I got to the firehouse. I realized that a lot of guys had second careers. Some some guys had three careers, you know, because we worked 24-hour shifts and then we have two, three, sometimes four days off. And guys had uh tanning salons, bagel shops, electrician, you know, companies, um, all sorts of contracting. You name it, we had it. Uh, but there was also a couple of guys that were nurses. Um, they were ER nurses. They were operating room nurses. They were home care nurses. And I was like, you know what? I was pre-med for about 15 minutes back in the day. I have an interest in this. I'm an EMT. Uh, so I went back to school and that's what I did. I did it for nine years. I was in a level one trauma center as an ER nurse. Um, I always had steady work whenever I wanted it. Um, but during that time, Ian, I had three little girls, uh, you know, um, join our family. Uh, and when they're little, they don't say anything. And my wife got to stay home for a few years uh, with the kids, uh, but then they get to be bigger. And they're like, dude, you're never home. I don't see you. You just got home from the firehouse. And then you left the next morning at, you know, before the sun rose and it started to wear my family. Uh, and that's really where real estate, you know, kicked in. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's a, that's an interesting Genesis. Um, you know, I feel like coming from, I, I would call it chaos. That might not be the word that you would use, but there's like, high intense life or death, um, crisis management, the stuff you were doing. I mean, 
does it make it's funny i have a whole show on like real estate and entrepreneurialism but does it almost make it seem like slow like molasses like you you are operating at this like life or death high speed level does it give you let's call it like clarity um and as you come into your this the city <clears throat> excuse me city side capital effort um you know it's a different type of i guess motivation uh um, when you're motivated to go get the fire before the fire gets you, you're believe me, you're motivated. Um, when someone's not breathing, you're trying to help them live another minute. Uh, you are motivated, right? And I've always prided myself on being in the room when that sort of stuff happening, you know, was happening because I just I wanted to be a part of that solution. When it came time to my family finances, I was motivated, right? I had three little girls. I was realizing that I couldn't save my way to wealth. Um, yes, I was grateful for my pension that I'll have one day, right? Yes, I'm grateful for my retirement accounts uh, and all of that, right? The bills were paid, 457 getting maxed out, right? I mean, uh, I didn't really have a lot to complain about. But when I got into real estate, the motivation you speak of is when you start putting your money um, and when you come from a scarcity mindset like I did, um, and you start putting your money out there to work and you don't have proof of concept yet. You don't have that clarity, that certainty and that confidence that it's going to come back to you and multiply uh, without huge headaches. I mean, that's a different type of motivation, right? That makes you want to do due diligence. That makes you want to reach out and, and, and touch that property, mow the lawn, know the tenants um, and all that stuff. It, it, so it's there. It's just not life and death, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's funny. You know, the, um, Jackson, I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. It's a big city, area-wise, um, biggest in the nation. Duval County is huge. But you have all these – we have a lot of fire departments. It's a very large city. And I can't tell you how many firemen are – a lot of them are in real estate. Like you said, some are doing things outside or contracting. But, like, you know, just great firemen built built my in-laws pool. Another fireman is bidding um, – we bought a big 170-acre track in central Florida. And He's bidding a bunch of the commercial land clearing, uh, demolition. Some are do some are also becoming GCs. I know a guy that has um like a high-level commercial, like cleaning and pressure washing and window business that, you know, I mean some of this stuff yeah. does really, really well. And I know two of them in particular, uh, right now, now they're already considering, do I just go full time into my side hustle? And they talked to me about like taking the money from their side hustle and start getting themselves into real estate deals. And you mentioned something too about like the scarcity mindset and you can't save your way into wealth. Um, you know, like the, the Kiyosaki definition of wealth versus being rich, you know, does your, does your passive income cover or exceed all your life obligations and expenses? Well, when you work and I want to put words in your mouth and you work as a fireman or a teacher, anyone on a retirement or pension track, I mean, hopefully when you're 60 something, the answer is yes, you're not quite sure. And in the meantime, you just got to hump it. And then you get into real estate and you're like, wow, I could focus this whole year on like, can I add, pick a reasonable number. I think it's very reasonable for someone to add, let's say a thousand dollars a month passive to their life. If they have a whole year to pull it off. I'd, some people listening might be like, I don't think that's easy. I would say, yes. I mean, I would actually shoot higher than that. I would, I, I, if you have nothing, Try and get try and get a couple properties under your belt this year, at least one. And if you do it right, you should have a thousand dollars a month passive. And then your goals, and I, I mentioned this on a previous show, I don't try to get too focused on net worth. Net worth is a little bit squishy. You know what I mean? It's based on valuation. It could it could change with the tide, but you know what's not squishy is that monthly cash flow. You know what I mean? So the, the the passive investing side, I like people to kind of dial in their their lifestyle. It's not a popular topic. I'm not, I'm not like Susie Orman or, you know, but I do think getting your lifestyle in check matters because we do all this work as investors to get passive income coming in. And then so many just like, you know, pardon my French, just like piss it down their leg and they're upside down again and they're scrambling for the next deal. But I'd say get your lifestyle in check and focus on getting that monthly cash flow up. Oh my God, your blood pressure will go way down and you don't need to wait till you're, you know, 65 to do it. Um, what, what were some of the first deals you got yourself into? Uh, yeah, I mean, so I just want to stack on top of something you just said, you know, um, you know, when I had that scarcity mindset, and I wasn't financially educated, I'd say, um, you know, you, you can get stuck in the W2 grind, 
earned, right? You earn, you work overtime, or you get a bonus at the end of the year. But then you have lifestyle creep, and you want to have a nicer car, and you want to just pay off all your bills, and maybe you want to put a pool in the backyard. And all of a sudden, you're back at it, right? You're you're still trying to accumulate, you know, capital, but you're really using it to pay off your lifestyle. And then when I realized that you could actually, you know, um, gain equity from either a business or real estate or both, um, and also and and also have that golden goose produce monthly cash flow, it was eye opening, right? And Kiyosaki, like you mentioned, talks about spending your money on doodads or spending your money on, you know, cash flow uh, producing assets or income producing assets. And you know, it's it's simplistic in its uh, framework, but when you actually apply it and start to reap the benefits, um, there's really something special about getting uh, an email ding, you know, that you have, you know, 300 or $400 a month from one property coming into your account, and you didn't do anything for it, right? You got property management in place, you know, you were sleeping, you were playing with your kids, and you start stacking some of those wins on top of each other. And before you know it, um, you can actually, you know, leave your job or choose to do something different because you have the cash flow. So, uh, so, so important that cash flow model versus the accumulation model. Um, I'm sorry that I just like hijacked that. No, anyway, no, my, no. My I first think... deal. Yeah. Well, and it's actually, yeah. since you said you did hijack and I like that you did, man, you take control. You got your own podcast. You know how this mm -hmm. works. Um, just on that <laughs> saying, you mentioned lifestyle creep and it's not like we're the only person to say the word lifestyle or the phrase lifestyle creep, but it's an important one because just, just to dwell on that for a little bit longer, I know I'll, I'll just use myself as an example. I was like, okay, if I get, this might sound silly, but I remember thinking like, if I can get like 2,500 bucks a month, 3,000 bucks a month without work, I'm like, that's going to cover like a lot of my expenses. You know, I didn't have a, didn't have a car payment. I think back then my housing was like 1600 bucks. You know, I, uh, my wife works. I'm like, you know what? This is doable. I can still buy my beer. <laughs> I'm like, and yeah. then all of a sudden, then it's, you know, whatever it becomes four and five and let's you get into the big boy world. And it's going to probably need to be more than 10 a month. And, um, but my point is by keeping your life, don't let your life ex like make those bumps lagging. They're like in the wake of your passive income. Don't, don't get it flipped. Don't get the cart before the horse. Cause I feel like that takes a lot of people out of the game too, because they let their lifestyle creep and exceed their passive. Well, now they can't be strategic. They can't do the deals that require a little bit of hang time, a little bit of time between capital events. And it's all because they got, a, honestly, it's a little bit of ego, you know, like just check yourself a little bit and then enjoy, you know, like I'm big into gratitude. I don't talk about it a lot on the show, but if you just kind of wake up and just think through all the stuff you are grateful for, and, and if you're an investor, not having to you know I do choose to do a lot of work, but not having to go to work every day. My God, to have your time back and spend it how you want it. Almost nobody does it at our age. So I mean, just be grateful for it and don't screw it all up by buying doodads. <laughs> doodads. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But you're, but um, you're, I mean, if you got more on that, that's fine. Then we can jump into your, your, your first deal. Yeah, no, my first deal. So, I mean, so um, it's funny because Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad was in my firehouse overnight bag that I carry, you know, to the firehouse and home, right? It has like my notebook, my planner, some fresh clothes, right? And at the bottom of that bag, there was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or at least a year, right? And I never read it. And, um, you know, July of 19, I'm on the beach in Outer Banks, North Carolina with my family uh, on a family vacation we do every year. And I have like all my little kids around and my brother's kids and my dad. And I can't put this freaking book down. Like I just literally, I'm like building a sandcastle with one hand, hold, trying to, you know, balance the beer. And I'm trying to balance the book <laughs> on the other hand. And within a day and a half or two days, I finished that book. And that, I'm, you know, it sounds cliche, Ian, but that's when everything changed for me. And I remember I closed the book and I said to my wife, Christine, I said, babe, I said, I'm going to be a real estate investor. And she said, sure, you are, Tim, you know, and she's always supported me no matter what I've done because she's seen my work, my work ethic, right? By November of 19, just four short months later, I was closing on a three on a three unit property that was uh, two out of three units were uh, going to be occupied upon, you know, takeover. And, you know, the first floor unit, which was the biggest, was going to be, you know, vacated. So. I'm not a really handy guy, but I, I muscled my way through the LVP flooring, painting, new knobs for the kitchen, the whole thing, right? And within two weeks, I had the whole place rented out. And it was me and a friend because I, I was still nervous, very skeptical. As a New Yorker, everybody's guilty till proven innocent in my mind, right? <laughs> um, so that's kind of how I approach life back then. 
Um, and you know what? So my partner and I immediately started getting between three and 400 a month each in cash flow. And we were being really conservative, right? Like we didn't want to take too much money out of the operating accounts. We wanted to be, you know, so after a year of that, I did better on my taxes. Now my cash flow is up to maybe six, $700 a month because we started to get more comfortable about how much reserves we wanted to keep and how much cash flow we wanted to take out. And it was amazing. I was like, oh my God, this is, this is perfect. But the, the house was built in 1920. It was an hour away from my home. Uh, I was still a nurse and I was still a firefighter and I'm still a full-time dad. Right. And uh, my wife's like, you know, this, this isn't really that passive, Tim, you, you know, this passive income thing you're talking about, it's not really that passive. And I was talking about buying another one. You know, I wanted to buy 30 of these things and be on yeah. easy street. And um but, you know, we had to put a new roof on. We had, we had to do the, uh, you know, vinyl siding. We had to do some deferred maintenance on the property. I was, you know, mowing the lawn. I was shoveling the snow. I was raking the leaves. Like, I was always there, right? And I had three single moms. So every time a light bulb needed to be changed or, you know, uh, whatever, you know, like, I was always there. And I'm like, you know what? This is not all that sustainable. So I decided to leave nursing, right, and go all in on real estate. And, you know, that was a hit. Like, that's like thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a year that I was making at the hospital that now I'm just like leaving out there, right? Uh, so that's also motivation to go make that real estate stuff happen because now I'm taking a big hit to my to my family finances, right? So I do that, you know, and uh, March of 2020, I joined a mentorship program to learn multifamily because during this little journey between November of 19 and March of 2020, I had never listened to a podcast, right? And I don't know why. I was like against podcasting for some reason. And now I just realized the power of the podcast, the power of audiobooks, turning my car into the university on wheels. I started reading again for the first time in like a really long time. And I became obsessed with all things finance, taxes, real estate, equity, debt, uh, marketing, business, um, all sorts of stuff, right? And that's how Cityside Capital was born. So I joined a mentorship group. It cost me 20 grand, right? My wife's like, man, what are you doing, right? I'm like, babe, it's going to be fine. I'm going to be working while the kids are in school from nine to three. I'm going to you know, make it happen. And um, that was March of 2020. Well, two weeks later, we're a hashtag flatten the curve, right? You know, hashtag two weeks, flatten the curve, right? And my kids are home. We're trying to figure out like Zoom for my kindergartner and my uh, maybe third grader or kindergarten, second grader, I forget at this point. And we had a brand new baby at home. It was chaos. Oh, I'm like, man. oh my God, what did I do? I'm going to start investing during a pandemic. I just lost 20 grand on a mentorship that I'm ever going to use. Like I was I was in a really like tough spot, but I, I was defiantly committed to making that happen. So long story short, I ended up moving out of my house for nine weeks. I moved into my mother-in-law's house and she moved into my home to t uh, help my wife with the kids because we didn't know about COVID. And I work in a very, very poor, blighted, you know, uh, low socioeconomic, high crime type of area in New York City. And people were literally dropping dead on the street from COVID. Like we were doing CPR nonstop, 24 hours a day. We didn't do any fires. All, magically, the car accident stopped. The fires stopped. The cooking accident stopped. Everything stopped except for CPR on COVID patients. Mm. So we didn't know a lot, right? We were, I, I was scared, right? I was nervous. We were bleaching the fire truck. Like we were like, it was getting crazy, right? Um, so during that nine weeks, I just went head first into education. I started calling brokers. I started calling bankers, community bankers, trying to set up relationships. You know, and some of those early calls were funny. The guys, the guys at the bank were like, dude, like we're trying to process PPP loans. And you're talking about, you know, establishing a relationship on a commercial, you know, mortgage. Like, are you crazy? But I had to come out of my comfort zone. I had to get those reps in. I had to, you know, take that action mentally so that I could, you know, keep on moving forward. So mm. doing that, it paid off. My mentor got a 43 unit under contract and he gave me the opportunity of a lifetime to join him on that deal, to get a front row seat on how to do due diligence, how to do financing, and then how to raise capital. Uh, towards the end, you know, we closed that deal August of 2020. Uh, he said, Tim, do you want to give capital raising a shot? And I'm like, Chris, man, like, I don't know if I can bring five cents, $5, 5 million. I have no idea what I can do. Like, do not count on me, please. 
And he really pushed me out of my comfort zone and said, you know, this is what you do. And so I had a Gmail account, no website, no nothing. Right. And I just started emailing folks, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, uh, you know, uh, college roommates, whoever I thought, you know, was doing well in life and would, you know, might want an opportunity in real estate. And um, we ended up raising 150000 for that first deal. And uh, I was blown away. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I was blown away, right? I mean, like, people weren't investing in the deal, they were investing in me, right? And I had been a little bit active on social media with my three family, like, hey, look at me, I'm a real estate investor now, and whatever, you know. And uh, so they saw what I was doing, they were interested. And uh, so that's when we my, my brother Greg joined me and uh, we we really kind of established Cityside Capital and we decided to make uh, a business out of it. I really like that story um, for a few reasons, but I'll just I'll hone in on the one that's I think the most interesting is you had this paid mentorship. And for those that don't know, $20,000, it's a hell of a lot of money, but it is not uncommon. Uh, I don't know the rates of every mastermind in America, but I have participated in masterminds that are with close to that number and um it's and quick note it's really what you put into it but let's talk about this you don't have to name the master the mentor necessarily but um what i like that he let he or she let you do is they got a deal your mentor got a deal brought you right into the front seat and gave you i mean arguably one of the most important jobs in the inner sanctum go out there and get that equity and um of course it wouldn't make sense for you to be doing like property level due diligence, if that's not your expertise, not to mention a lot of that can be outsourced if you're not confident. Um, but the capital raise, man, that first raise with a Gmail account, no website, no funnels, no lead magnets, <laughs> old Nothing. school, baby. In the, and also everyone's losing their mind because um, you're, you're the one of technically the height, but you're deep in COVID. And um, I mean, you're in New York. I mean, it's like, ground zero i mean like you said the, the what you just described five minutes ago i mean i, could, I mean i was just shaking my head uh wow so what what were some of the lessons you know because you know the takeaways are always so critical on these shows so I, I feel fortunate to have you share that moment and i know you've gone way beyond that now but like what were some of the you know we finished that first raise on i think it was a 43 unit you said you got the 150k in equity people like you said they're investing in you um which i believe is totally true and critical um what were, what were some of the lessons that you took from that moment running forward so um a lot you know a lot i approached that in a totally wrong way right i was selling the deal i was like man like this deal is awesome i'm putting my own money into it you know these are the types of returns that i'm looking for and you know all this stuff, and um, investors, especially when you're when you're just getting started, like um, they pay attention to that, right? But they really want to know about you and what you've done for that property and how you found it. And there's a story around it, right? And that's the most powerful piece of anything that I've found raising tens of millions of dollars now. Like, you know, um, there has to be a compelling reason to do this, right? Yeah, everyone kind of knows real estate it should be in their portfolio. Everybody kind of wants to do it, but they don't know how to do it, how to get started. They don't want to be a landlord. They don't want to have the proverbial 2 a.m. phone call for the flooding toilet on, you know, the second floor. So once I realized that I needed to really craft my 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 story, like my core story and why I'm doing this and how it's how it works, like that's that's the magic right there. It's not the deal, it's not the metrics, it's not the you know, uh the sexy pictures with the pool and the palm trees. Like so um, and that's what I didn't understand for that first raise. You know, could I have done better? I don't know, maybe. But my second and third raises uh, in the in the months to follow were uh, both a half million, just over a half million dollars each. And at that point, I had a very rudimentary website, right? Um, you know, I uh, was learning how to build, you know, automations and Zapier and and funnels and all the other stuff. I mean, that I probably should have just paid somebody to do for me. But at the time, I was very cost conscious, right? Um, but those were the big things, right? And I realized that raising capital was probably going to be my my specialty early on, right? So my first three deals I did as like uh, JV type deals, right? Uh, which is a joint venture. And <clears throat> then um, around the same time I was getting this business off the ground, a, a bunch of people in this space started to get investigated by the SEC for capital raising practices. Because, 
you know, you can't just raise money for anybody and then just like raise money and then move on to the next deal, raise money for the next deal and move on. You know, you have to have what's called a material participation in that property, right? So asset management, property management, due diligence, earnest money, key principle, um, underwriting, like you have to have a material part in that property, right? If you're going to raise capital. Um, you do that and you can use the regulation D exemption all day long, 506B and 506C offerings, right? Um, when I realized that certain people were getting investigated, I got nervous, right? Like, hey, am I doing it the right way? And then right around that time, I got introduced to a broker dealer that was focusing on commercial real estate, multifamily self-storage uh, assets. So the difference, and I can dive into that, is that you I now have my securities licenses. I have my Series 82 and my Series 63 license. We are a registered representative of a broker-dealer that only does these types of offerings. So we don't do stocks, bonds, mutual funds, life insurance, you know, annuities, nothing like that. All we do is Reg D offerings uh, for accredited and non-accredited uh, investors who want to be involved in multifamily self-storage and now industrial triple net lease uh, type of offerings. Good for you. Okay. I think the audience is going to most mostly follow along with what you said. So um, let's not, I think in the sake of time, let's, let's unpack get, it. Let's yeah, unpack it. Yeah. I, I think that, um, so I've done, I just closed it. Well, it won't be when this airs, but at the time of this interview um, about six weeks ago, Close to 506C, we raised a million in LP money. And um, yeah, there's pros and cons. I think that, you know, I, I'm properly working under exception, but um, and I had a good, I had a really good SEC attorney that, that was almost like a partner that we didn't have to like bring into the partnership. They were really, really good. Um, but let's talk about, you know, what you're able to do. I think the nuance to dive into, let's talk about what you're able to do that others are not able to do because of the the securities licenses you've pursued? Yeah. So, um, so my goal was to work with best in class operators, right? Cause at the end of the day, this is not a game. This is not something that you can go to a weekend conference and just start, you know, doing your, 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 your thing, right? Like I really wanted to work with people that have been in the space for a decade or more, had a track record, um, you know, were easy to work with. And this, this kind of setup that I have now allows me to do that. So we work with nine different operators across the U.S. Uh, I would say 90% multifamily and the rest is uh, self-storage and, and industrial uh, assets. So what it allows us to do is just simply to raise capital, right? To be that equity piece, uh, equity solution to these operators. And they can all raise millions of dollars by themselves. But, you know, when you're doing deal velocity or you're doing higher ticket deals, you know, you need a lot of equity, right? So that's how we kind of come in. It's a cost of capital to the operator, to the people who are running the deal uh, to work with somebody like us. Um, and we have a robust due diligence uh, process that we actually you know, uh, pursue before we invite somebody to kind of be a part of our platform. And that's really, um, that's like the niche, you know, you hear the niches, the riches are in the niches, right? When I thought about it, you know, if you're a limited partner, if you're, if you're a uh, highly paid W2 employee, or you come into some money with, uh, you know, I don't know, inheritance or something, and you want to be a passive investor, well, how do you know who to work with? How do you know who to trust? How do you know, you know, what to look for? The questions to ask, you know, what is due diligence? You know, um, all of that stuff, right? So that's what we were trying to solve for. So what we do is we do site visits on the properties. My my lead broker dealer flies around the country meeting these folks, um, walking their properties, meeting the property management you know players. Um, we have a third-party due diligence firm called CrowdCheck that actually looks at the you know, the underbelly, uh, make sure that they own these groups, own the properties, they sold the properties that they said they did, you know, um, really making sure that the LLCs are, you know, set up correctly and, and are, are in good standing. Um, criminal background checks, right, on these operators, because, you know, people get hurt every once in a while, you see the news, right? And maybe a simple Google search would have sufficed, uh, you know, as, as due diligence for, for that particular person. Uh, but we really wanted to solve for the the big level, high level stuff so that when we did have an offering to put out to our investors, they can know, um, you know, with some certainty that we've kind of done some some digging and some background checks. Uh, on top of that, we have an in-house underwriter. Uh, his name is Terry, and he does all of our underwriting checks for us. So, you know, the way it works is when an operator, say in Texas, gets a 300 unit multifamily deal under contract, they'll send us the the rent roll the trailing 12 months of profit and loss statements and their underwriting. 
And Terry will go through that and he can pick it apart. If he has questions, we can get back to the operator uh, because you want to have, you know, what's called conservative assumptions. And in these days, everybody has conservative assumptions, but you want to make sure they actually check out. Uh, so that's, that's some of the things that we do. Um, so, and then we just, you know, we do monthly reporting, quarterly financials, um, and, you know, our investors have our, you know, cell phone numbers. So if they want to go over a deal, they want to know a little bit more in depth with what's, ha what's happening. Um, that's what we kind of offer to our investors. Wonderful. Let's, um, let's dive into some of the, cause I know, we, I know you were starting with like your three family stuff and you've long since evolved past that. I'll tell you it, you haven't directly said it, but I think it's probably going to come up. I mean, the benefit of jumping in as a true, like passive LP, well, depending on what your accreditation standard is, but the only real passive position in the deal is the LP, you know, or, or like a note lender, just like a private lender. So you're either lending and LPs are very, I mean, I know technically they're not lenders, but it's really, it's, it's close, <laughs> um, but it's, these are the passive roles. Otherwise you do, I mean, you do still have a job. I mean, every deal that I've done, other than um, I bought and sold some land and stayed on and seller financed it. And I still get those checks right now. It's like, oh my God, that's passive. That's the only like super passive thing that I'm currently doing. Everything else, I'm at minimum the asset manager. Oh, I had we had a good interview a few episodes ago. It hasn't dropped yet, but um, there are no asset managers. There's asset leaders. And that's I like that. You'd be an asset leader. But so you're able to do deals, right? Where- you don't have to be involved in asset management. You've already vetted them. You've done your underwriting, like you said, ten-year track record. These guys are, these guys are killers. But you're able to raise the money, place it, and you have the license, or you can just move on to the next deal without having to necessarily continue. I mean, you'll update your investors, but there's not like so much of an ongoing commitment um, operationally. Correct. Uh, that's true. So I can only raise capital. You know, my company can only raise capital for those groups that have been invited onto our platform, right? They were deemed suitable uh, after our due diligence, you know, um, team has kind of gone through them. So I can't just do every deal that comes across my desk. Uh, and I get a lot of those. Um, I can only I can only work with the people that are vetted and, and onboarded onto our platform. Um, but they know like working with us, we have investor communication, you know, uh, guidelines, right? So they'll send us the monthly reports, we get them, our compliance officer reviews them, and then we're able to send those out directly to our investors. Um, you know, so that's, there's a, there's like a strong pipeline of investor relations and communications. Do you have much variation from deal to deal on, so like people come to you, I mean, obviously like people are going to look at you you know, kind of like a bank, you know, with, with equity and are, are people, are you pretty consistent in what you require from your, what I'm getting at is like the terms that are out there. Some deals are better than others, but are, are people like needling you or kind of trying to beat you up and move your terms around? Or are you guys pretty consistent in how you go from deal to deal and your requirements? Yeah, so we require that the operators do a 70-30 split, right? So 70% goes to the limited partners or the passive folks, and no more than 30% to the general partners or the folks who are, you know, running the deal, right? Um, and the deals that we've done, uh, we've done about approximately 21, uh, 22 deals now. Um, they're usually a 7 or an 8% preferred return, usually around a five-year hold, uh, I would say four to six year hold or three to six year hold, um, 30 splits. And, you know, some have hurdles or what's called a waterfall, right? If we, if we double say, for example, if we double your money in the allotted time, then maybe it goes from 70, 30 split to a 50, 50 split or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, they're pretty uniform across the spectrum. Um, but each deal can be a little bit unique, right? Uh, so that's why, you know, we spend a lot of time, you know, explaining to investors, what exactly is this offering and how does it work? Yeah. That's nice. Um, and on the multiple side, I presume with what you're talking about, you're probably always like a, like a two X or better, I would think, or usually shooting for a two X or better on equity multiples for the whole period. Yeah. I think industry wide, like that's pretty much everybody's, you know, goal. Right. Um, but I'm a limited partner in uh, several deals where, you know, I remember the, the, uh, the goal equity multiple was 1.85, right? Which mm -hmm. means 85% return on your capital during the hold period. Um, and that was good enough for me, right? So, um, and if they under promise and over deliver, that's even better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, so there's different metrics you can look at. 
Um, but usually I think, you know, when you're underwriting a deal for a five year or a three to five year timeline, you're, you're looking to pretty, you know, get pretty close to that. Yeah. So you've done, you've done something, um, that many people think about. Um, I dabbled in a little bit, but I, but it, it just, <laughs> it, it didn't really go as planned. You are partners with your brother, right? So let's talk a moment about, you know, I won't go down my path. I have three younger brothers. I'm the oldest and we all love each other. Um, but everybody's, you know, it's, I think of like game of Thrones and everyone's got their little kingdoms and, and, and like, yes. no, everyone loves each other, but nobody really wants to like truly like listen to each other or take, well, I shouldn't say listen. Nobody wants to take like a, like a subservient uh, position to another brother. And again, nothing but love, just, uh, just a bunch of rugged individuals, but you're pulling it off. I think you, your brother's name is Greg, right? And so how are, right. how are things, how, how does, well, let me say how are things with your brother? That's a weird question for this show. But like, let's talk about, you know, working with a brother because I've always thought it could be like the best of the best, uh, you know, having like a tight, I mean, no one knows you better than a family member, but you know, let, let's just talk about, you know, conquering the world with a brother. Yeah. I mean, look, um, you know, I, you can anecdotally you can hear horror stories about working with family members where you can hear you know great stories um i think greg and i for the longest time have been talking about you know hey we should do something we should do real estate or we should buy a property or we should you know come up with an idea that you know we can both work on you know we were very aligned uh for a while um and just really into like finances and you know doing stuff and being successful and having a good mindset right um so it was almost a natural fit and he saw what i was doing and he was like man i want to be a part of that like let's let's make a go at this and you know to this day you know since 2019 i mean we've only had one argument and it was early on and uh it's funny because we always uh we always joke about it I was at the Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru getting my coffee at like 5.30, 6 in the morning. And we were talking and uh, I was like, Greg, man, I'm like, we need a website. And, you know, people have no idea who we are. They need to be able to look at our bios and, you know, like tell people what we do. And he's like, we don't need a website. We need a deal, you know. And uh, every once in a while, I'll just send like a little quote, uh, you know, in a text. You know, we don't need a website, dot, 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 you know. After we just like raised a lot of money or we closed on a deal or, you know, something happened. Right. Um, but that's really, I mean, that was early on, uh, you know, listen, being, being transparent. I mean, we have, you know, uh, on, on our business finances, you can log in, I can log in. We see what we make. We see what we have going out. We make decisions together. Um, we have an operating agreement, you know, with our LLC, we have a tiebreaker rule. I mean, we never had to use it, you know, but the attorney made us put it in there, you know, in case we can't agree on something. So, um, it's, it, it, and listen, it's my brother. I get to, you know, talk to him every day, uh, multiple times a day. He's in Virginia. Uh, so it's a long distance relationship and, uh, and we make it happen. And how do you guys divide labor? Obviously, you're here with me, so you're probably doing more of the forward-facing media, I just presume. How do you guys tend to split things up? Yeah, I do a lot of the the media, right? Uh, he's done a few podcasts. I mean, but, you know, he also has a W-2 job. He's a director of real estate for a uh, car dealership company. Um, and, uh, you know, so he's he's busy W-2-ing, uh, you know, five days a week, uh, you know. So I, I, I have the luxury of being off sometimes, uh, you know, a couple of days a week where I get to, you know, do these types of things. Um, oh, so I kind of have done that. But, you know, he does a lot of the... Um, we have 1031 investors, so 1031 exchange investors who have, say, a half million or more in equity that they need to place, and they either get jammed up and they are brushing up against their timeline, or they just don't want to be active anymore. They want to be passive. We can help them uh, you know, get into deals via a TIC, uh, which is a tenant in common agreement. So he kind of heads that up. He does some of our larger investors, institutional investors, um, and I kind of take care of the the media, social media, investor relations, uh, the retail investor side. So, you know, 50 to half a million dollar investors. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of been a, a work in progress. He just kind of gravitated towards that stuff and I gravitated towards this. Yeah. And just kind of in that media vein, um, just looking at your bio and kind of checking out some of your stuff online before the show, I feel like you guys have had a, you know, a nice trajectory. Um, what do you, you know, what would you share? You know, do you have anything for the audience about, you know, what worked and what didn't work? You know, you said you did the, did the first raise on a Gmail account with, 
but no website, dot, dot, dot. So, you know, things are different now, but like, you know, what, what, I'm sure you've tried a bajillion different things, but, you know, as you sit here now with, you know, with me on this microphone, what, what seems to work and what seems to not work? Obviously we're both fans of the podcast platform, but you know, what do you liken to attribute your, you know, your growth pattern to? Uh, you know, coming out of the gate early, like I had a coach and he's like, you need to get on podcast. And I'm like, well, I haven't done anything yet. He goes, doesn't matter. You got to get on a podcast, you know? And, you know, um, you know, I had a three unit, but you know what? Like I had a, a, a scarcity mindset, right? But my three units were a lot more than like a lot of other people, right? Who were just like testing the waters or dipping their toe in and not really committing and taking action. So getting comfortable behind the microphone, telling my story um, really started this trajectory. And then um, I started joining masterminds, being with like-minded folks, telling people what I did. Uh, just telling my friends and family what I did via newsletter, right? We ended up getting a, a, a software program called Active Campaign. Mm-hmm. I can send out my deals. I can send out my newsletters, updates. I can have automations and email sequences and welcome sequences. And, you know, to really, you know, stay engaged and not have to really think about it, right? Um, imagine having an email list of 700 and emailing each individual person. Like, that's a lot of work. So uh, understanding some of the software has certainly helped us, uh, the website, the podcast. Um, and then, you know, I've, I've done a lot of meetups um, by being a guest at other people's meetups, uh, talking on stages, going to conferences. I mean, all those things, it's little pieces that fit into the puzzle that end up, you know, creating momentum, right? Because mm-hmm. in the beginning, it's hard to get that momentum. You are up against a lot of costs. I mean, even just going to a conference for me, it's like minimum a thousand dollars, right? Depending on the conference cost, the airfare, the hotels, the food, like, so it's a lot, right? Um, But every little piece that we've kind of taken and Greg and I are really cheap, like we're still so stupid cheap. It's not even funny. Uh, So we're constantly trying to like pare down like our expenses and like, you know, do we really need that software or do we, you know, uh, I don't know, because there's always something that you can buy, right? Like two way texting or, you know, uh, you know, on you know, whatever. So um, but yes, I would say you don't need a lot, right? You don't need a lot, especially when you're getting started. Um, And, you know, to be honest, when we first had our website, you know, um, it wasn't connected to anything. I had Google Sheets. Um, that's how we kept track of a lot of stuff was, you know, uh, spreadsheets. Um, and then as we grew, we, you know, got into more software, but, um, keep it simple at first. Yeah. I think that's really good advice, um, on a lot of levels, but, you know, let's just say, you know, Timothy and I, we've got like the deal of a lifetime. Let's just pretend it's, it's in New York since, since you're the guest, if we don't have any systems, (laughs) it's going to be, it's going to be a nightmare to message this deal out, especially if we have to like raise the equity in like less than 30 days or something. I mean, and <laughs> if you don't have some sequencing, if you don't have some even deal templates, I mean, if it's literally like, oh, I've got to package this deal, message this deals, yeah, onboard, sign. If you're doing a syndication, all of the onboarding documents, all of the phone, I mean, good Lord. So get ahead of that. And I think it is a bit of the like chicken or the egg thing, but you know, going to your most recent point, do it on like the bootstrap budget first. You, I mean, you can suffer your way through. I mean, we just raised a million. It was eight people. You know what I mean? So it's like we had to message a lot more. We had to message many, 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 many more than eight people. But but the point is like the actual documents and docu signing and onboarding and wire transfers, like it was busy, but manageable with eight investors. But you're trying to do this at scale and multiple times a year. Um you want to have these systems in place. Um, the last thing you want to do is be, you know, have the opportunity of a lifetime and not be able to like systematically message it out and onboard your investors. That's the whole point. Right. So, um, active there's campaign a lot of portals is a good one out there. Active campaign is great for emailing and, um, you know, uh, investor communications, but you know, we, we've used syndication pro invest next groundbreaker. I mean, um, uh, there's another one, can't think of the name of it right now, but yeah, I mean, like there's portals out there that are relatively inexpensive that you can use as, as a CRM and, you know, use for your offerings. Right. Um, and you can connect ACH payments to them and you can make it very easy and very user, uh, user experience friendly for your investors. 
Uh, so I would say, you know, if you've done a deal or two, uh, maybe not on your first one, but it's relatively inexpensive and you can provide a first class user experience to your investor and also use it as a CRM uh, for your business. Uh, you know, uh, we've used Syndication Pro uh, and it's it's been awesome, you know, um, and the investors love it. Yeah, I agree. We're um we're on invest next, but but to to the same point, the portal, just the portal feature alone is is nice. I mean, and what we mean by that, guys, is you can have whatever URL you want. Like for me, and I was not trying to plug, but if you go to investwiththecoach.com, that's gonna run you right into our little portal dashboard. You can sign up as an investor. It'll trigger, I'll get an alert and we'll reach out to you. Um, but but those little things make a big difference versus like calling your aunts and uncles and talking about a deal that, you know, sending them out, send out your, your Gmail with like a, who knows, like a word document with, you know, a few paragraphs and some photos. I mean, you'll be able to raise money from people that just straight up love you. You know, like if you got a rich uncle in your life and he wants to help you out, yeah, he might, he might cut you a check for 25 or 50 grand, depending on how much he loves you, but it's not going to be enough to build a business. So, um, I'll probably leave it at that. But I, I think I think what Timothy's talking about is I, I personally have struggled through it. And now we're kind of like out of it. We're kind of on the back end of it. We're working on some automations. But um, having deals like not not to take your brother's position, but having deals that force you to like stress test the systems and software makes sense, too. Because, like I said, we just closed that million dollar LP raise and it. It was the it was the first time in the new software with the new portal with some new features and we had a new SEC attorney. I mean, they were very experienced, but new to us. And uh, but by God, I'm like ready to I'm like ready to go on the next one because just stress testing those systems. I know exactly how I want to improve them. And um, we didn't do any webinars, and I know everyone does webinars, and I just we just kind of stuck with different kinds of communication. But you know, just building that out. Um, all right. Well, fast forward a little bit or take time period now forward. What are you, what are you looking to do? Do you have like, what are your goals with, you know, city side capital? Where do you see this thing going? Uh, I mean, we're growing uh, at a pretty good clip every year. Right. Um, so I don't even know it's possible. I get the, the, the exciting part is that, you know, I think we're early in this space. You know, I think people are waking up to alternative investments, you know, whether or not, you know, I'm not going to, you know, uh, poo poo the stock market or bonds or anything like that. If you're into that and it's working for you, great, you know, but I think there's a lot of people that just don't even know what's available to them. And that's kind of been my, you know, my life's work now. Um, I still have two more years to go in the firehouse. I'm a Lieutenant in the FDNY. I love that job. I love the guys and girls I work with. Um, you know, I'm only 40, you know, so leaving at 42, uh, you know, is something that I aspire to do, but I don't know that I'll be ready. Uh, but listen, you know, raising millions of dollars for deals and seeing how they impact people's lives with cash flow. Uh, for example, like my dad has a million dollars with us. You know, this is the guy that worked on Wall Street uh, for 40 years was very skeptical about what Greg and I were doing. It's a guy that, you know, is very conservative. He ladders his CDs at the bank, you know, um, and he's got 80, 80 plus thousand a year coming in passively. And he, nice. you know, retired and he loves it. Like he, like his accountant loves it. He loves it, you know? Um, so seeing the impact that can have for folks is, uh, and for me as well and my family, I mean, it's, uh, it's incredible. So, um, we're going to continue to get the message out. We're going to continue with the podcast, uh, with our phone calls and really trying to help out that regular everyday investor that is looking for, you know, yield and it's looking for a different way to, to make money. Awesome. All right. Timothy, we're going to jump into a section where where you call the play. You're essentially going to, it's a little bit more rapid and uh, you're going to okay. essentially do a little bit of resource drop on us. So uh, what is your most uh, impactful real estate or business book that you would recommend? Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. It's a, it's a must read for anybody that's either starting a business, has a business, thinking about starting a business. Um, Donald Miller is, is amazing. I agree. I, I do the audiobook. Sounds like you like to do audiobooks too, but I yeah. did I did whatever he just dropped that came out in the past like couple months and then the one before that. So yes. Uh, no, I agree. His communication style is so simple and straightforward. I'm not saying it's like Kiyosaki per se, but it's super digestible. Great audiobook. Uh good recommendation. Uh per, I don't know if you do personal development books, but do you have a personal development book that you like? 
Yes, it's called The Wealthy Gardener by John Sulfuric. It's just, um, it's a, it's an amazing book. I love it. I listen to it once a year. Um, and it's just, uh, it's, it's great. Awesome. Awesome. Um, do you have something outside of books, whether it's a podcast, a YouTube channel, I kind of added this question recently, but kind of like your alternative information, you know, cause some people are like, well, I just do my podcast and that's it. Or I, uh, or I'm never on YouTube or whatever, but um, do you have, do you have any accounts that, you know, that are not authors that, that you think are, are, are worth a damn. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I listen, I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I get up at five in the morning and I try to get two hours in of reading and podcasting and I'll just start reading them off my phone. I mean, it's money ripples by Chris miles, uh, motivation with Brendan Burchard, Euro university, um, entrepreneurs on fire, the real estate espresso podcast, uh obviously the passive income brothers podcast but uh for more macro stuff i listen to real vision uh wealthy on i listen to the old capital podcast which is more about interest rates and financing for real estate and kind of where we're going macro um the real estate cpa podcast is really a phenomenal resource for people that are looking at real estate professional status or short-term rental or just anything, whether you're an investor or a operator, uh, just a great podcast. Um, I could go on and on, but uh, creating wealth with um, Jason Hartman, it, there's so much. But the, yeah. the podcast that really got me started was, you know, uh, Get Rich Education with Keith Weinhold. That one is, you know, if you don't, if you're new to this game and you don't know about real estate and how it works, just go to get rich education with Keith Weinhold, Keith Weinhold and uh, start episode one and, and work your way through. All right, Timothy, those are good resources. You just made it rain resources. All right. What do you do for fun when you're not listening to uh list and list of podcasts? Uh, so I am a, a cross coach for my girls, my two older ones, basketball coach. I, I go to the CrossFit local CrossFit gym with my wife Um you know, and we just try to have a really good time with the girls and their friends, um, with our family, cousins. Uh, you know, it's just uh, we liked I like to have my time freedom uh, to be able to spend it how I want to with whom I want to and at, at, at any given time that I want to. Nice. I think we we are aligned in that way. I think a lot of the audience is, too. Lastly, where can people connect with you and learn more about what you offer, what you do? Yeah, just come to the website, citysidecap.com. Uh, we have a form there. We have a free download uh, about some of the stuff we talked about today. Um, you can set up a call through the website, uh, or you can just call me on my cell phone, 516-521-7762. And uh, just let me know that you heard this uh, podcast with the Yield Coach Show. And uh, yeah, we'll just hop on a call and, and it'll be an intro call. I'm never salesy. I'm never trying to lock you into anything. It's more informational purposes. And if it works out for you, great. Awesome. You hear that, everybody? Timothy Lyons gave his personal sell on the show. I love it. I love it. It's commitment right there. It'll be in the show notes, Sam. Sam will get that in the show notes for you. All right, guys, that has been the show. Please rate, subscribe, review. It makes a big difference and allows us to bring us better and better content. If you're into socials, we're Yield Coach on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We frequently post deal opportunities, bonus content, and inside looks into our own personal and professional pursuits. Like I said, that is a wrap on this show. I'm your coach, Ian Brown, signing off and reminding everyone to lace up and leave it all on the field. Yield Coach out. <laughs>